Welcome back, everyone. We're live for another episode of Growing with My Fellow Growers. I'm joined, as always, by an amazing panel. I'll pass it over first to Spartan Grown. Thank you, Jack. Thanks for having me back. Uh, what's up, chat? I'm happy to be here. I'm Spartan Grown. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, no spaces. You can also send me an email at SpartanGrownGmail.com. Did I say it right? SpartanGrown at gmail.com. And I'm an organic a cannabis cultivator at home and at work. I grow with synthetics, so I can help with either one. Happy to have you back. Next up, Kyle Breeder. Hey, everybody. Kyle Breeder. Um, I, I, I'm sorry. I specialize in uh, feminized breeding with cannabis seeds or cannabis plants. Uh, if you're looking for feminized seeds, because that's something you're into, um, I do have a website, which is purebreeding.com. Uh, I am in the process of actually working on a whole new uh, lineup which should be released. It's going to be months away, but I'm uh, pretty excited about that. Um, but yeah, if you, have, if you have any questions about anything regarding breeding or my seeds or anything, feel free to reach out at pure underscore breeding on Instagram and then pure breeding on Facebook. And yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Have you back. And uh, next up, Dr. MJ. Hey, guys. Yeah, I'm Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. I am excited to be back. I'm sorry I missed the show last week. I was trying to get on for the second half, but it kind of slipped entirely past me. A uh, couple announcements. We have the New Year's Grow Challenge first photo contest is going off in an hour. There's still time to vote for that for the next hour. Um, we're giving away a, a cool light tonight from Photon Tech. And then I'm doing a part test premiere on Wednesday night, um, and I'll do a giveaway during that one as well. And then I'm going to do an after show with Smart Poker, I think. So Everybody that listens to this show should know who Smart Poker is. And I think I'm going to be sort of going over to his show and doing a little thing after my premiere on Wednesday. So check that out. And uh, yeah, look forward to being here tonight. Good stuff. I always love the uh, grow alongs and spirit of co collaboration and things like that. Uh, Smart Poker is a great dude. And he'll probably be in the chat if he's not already. Uh, lots of people over here in the chat. Make sure to click on over to the live chat if you want to see all the messages. Um, if you want some stuff filtered out, like occasionally we do get spam in there that our moderators with the wrenches will go and uh, block out, but filtered out if you just want to be in top chat. So if, if you're worried about seeing that stuff, which doesn't happen too often, but occasionally does, uh, and you don't want to see any swearing or anything, then you can stay in top chat. But for the rest of the people, live chat is a good thing. But I want to go ahead and pass it over next to Matthew Gates. Welcome back. Yeah, hey everyone, this is Matthew Gates. I'm an integrated pest management specialist, for those who don't know, and uh, I make a lot of free content for people who are available to view it on my YouTube channel, Zenthanol, and also a bunch of other places as well. And uh, I'm also the owner of Zenthanol Consulting, so if you have a professional need for pest prevention or mitigation or something like that, you can check me out at zenthanol.com, and I'm excited to be on this panel as always. We're happy to have you back. I think tonight's topic will uh, definitely have some IPM re relevant uh, sections. So you'll definitely be looped into this conversation, but I want to give the American one a chance to introduce himself. Hello, Jack panel and everyone in chat. I'm the American one uh, on the YouTubes and the American one underscore with underscore Keens on the IG. Most of you know me. Um, yeah, I'm glad to be here and uh, talk about cannabis. It's always awesome. So a little bit before the show, Kyle was telling us about a potential opportunity. I didn't know if it was like a secret thing. That's why I was like bringing it up before the show because I didn't. I thought maybe he didn't want to talk about it on air, but uh, maybe you could kind of yeah. just refresh the uh, listeners who are here now, and we could kind of start from where we left off. 
Yeah, so uh, I'm in the process of obtaining um, a tier one cannabis cultivation license, which, uh, or a tier two, it depends on the scenario, but uh, despite that, basically I'm, I'm either allowed up to 5,000 square feet of canopy space or 10,000 square feet of canopy space. Uh, me and the girlfriend found a beautiful home in the town where I'm gonna be doing it. And what I just saw in the, in the bylaws at the last minute, a little while ago was that they only allow outdoor cultivation. Well, I thought it was both because I was going to do a little indoor setup, start off sl small and then whatever, build up something else. But I was like, man, I was like, well, and from my, uh, from my past history, because there's not too many outdoor growers. I mean, there are outdoor growers up in New England, but it's just more prevalent to see indoors um, just because of the weather and stuff. But um, I just don't remember outdoors being like super fantastic, but that's also not what we specialize in up here. I'm, not, I'm sure there are people are, killing it up here in that but it's just not as prevalent uh, so I'm yeah asking, yeah so what I'm asking, i, I missed else? that part of the the pre-conversation but i'm surprised that they're only allowing outdoor i've seen a lot of deals where they only allow indoor i'm not sure yeah so but, well i'm not going to go into the, the deep semantics of it but basically there are a uh, roughly around 14 towns that actually allow you to grow cannabis commercial to grow cannabis commercially on your own land and there's a specific okay. special special permit granting authority that allow that. And they're only in certain towns. Well, the certain town that I'm looking in specifically only will allow uh, outdoor cultivation on your own property. Because um, it, it allows people like me and who don't have a lot of capital to get in the industry. So I'm just okay. um, looking in these towns. and um, Also doesn't strain is, the grid as much. A lot of them yeah, are worried about the electricity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and mostly, the other issues are usually around security and, and stuff like that, wanting to not yeah. have open field crops. I mean, that's what most of the laws are, are set that way to require indoor grow. I mean, that's, right. you know, that Jack for, for your own experience, not being able to grow outdoors. Um, yeah, so they have, yeah, they have, uh, there's, there's certain regulations if you go through there that, uh, you know, they need, they want cameras in certain spots and they want fences and it's got to look like the, the neighbor's fence and it's got to look like, it's got to look like a barn and whatever. They have all these guys. So, but my question was for this whole thing was, yeah, yeah, sorry. And what's making me not want to bail out or bail in is i someone was telling me like, Kyle, you'll never, you'll never represent what indoor cannabis looks like being outdoors in a greenhouse. And I was like, well, fuck, well, that's like kind of like the whole point was for me to put my brand in the best product out there. So maybe I shouldn't buy this home on that land because I don't want to be in a scenario where I invest all this money in the land and the infrastructure. And then my weed isn't selling because, you know, the market is looking for only top quality, but I was asking Spartan and Jack and they're saying, no, 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 it's, you can actually produce better flour in a, if it's done correctly with supplemental lighting and environmentally controlled uh, greenhouses versus indoor. So I'm just curious everyone's opinion about that whole scenario. Well, now I got to ask the question of what qualifies as outdoors. Is, is a fully enclosed greenhouse allowed? That's what I need to find out tomorrow. So I'm, uh, during the day, I'm going to call them because it, 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 I'm not sure either. Um, I would assume if it's, I don't know, that's, that is true though. Because my statement would... to clarify though, yeah, was even if you had to do it fully outdoor, but and and I sort right, of right, right. gave a caveat. I'm using the comparison of California and Michigan. I've never, I don't have experience with mass outdoors. So, but in my experience, like my example was, I guess indoor, I think can have like a 90 to 95 out of 100 for my taste as like top quality. Where outdoor, if it's done very well, it can hit that 100 out of 100. A greenhouse is a lot easier to do that because you have the environmental controls and things like that. Right. But with good breeding and a good season, or even like autos or uh, like light depths, um, you don't have to worry as much about harsh seasons. But 
even just like a pure outdoor crop like if you've ever come across people that know what they're doing with it it is just absolutely amazing and like it's not knowing what you're doing it's having the right climate and that's that's where we start to really question sort of how much the climate in massachusetts is going to limit that because regardless of sort of the the grower talent having having a climate that's sort of well suited for growing cannabis if you can't do anything to control the climate it is a good place to start and there there would be some limiting factors there um you know the massachusetts summers are going to be closer to Michigan than California for sure. I mean, um, so I don't know. For us who live in I, paradise, I also think we should just distinguish like? the three things, indoor, outdoor, <laughs> and greenhouse. I mean, I think those are, are three significantly different types of ways of growing and um, it's worth sort of thinking about them separately. Uh, can we, so, so I'm, I don't spend a whole lot of time in Massachusetts. What would that actually be like? Like what are, what are some of these hot know? and humid thing? Hot, hot and humid, humid right? summers. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. they have cold early rain. onset to fall. Right. And, yeah. and you can get an early frost too. So early, yeah. early you know, cold weather. So I, I just, um, I'd have to ask Kyle, like, is it more coastal or are you more inland in that township um, area? No. So these towns that are allowing this, uh, special permit is more central and western mass because it's more rural so well and what you had also commented was the groups that are doing it currently are all turning it to concentrate and something else mm. that i didn't mention that i kind of have a little bit of knowledge on because of uh charlie's farm who's also in mass is um i'd, I'd check and see if you can even actually get the permits because what it sounds like is there's actually a lot of corruption and there might only be one group that's like actually getting outdoor permits so Make sure that you can actually get the permits in general. Yeah, but, um, yeah, my, yeah. Before we close, before I sign any purchasing agreement on the house, I'm going to go down to the town hall and ensure because uh, there's a municipal zoning tracker and it tells you which towns have zoning in place, which ones don't, which ones are banned, which ones are capped out on licensing, and uh, so you get all that information. You then you have to go look into the town bylaws, which takes hours of research because some of them they're not they're not easy to access. And uh, but yeah, before I, I make any decisions, I'm, I'm going to be sure to go talk to the everybody in the town before I, you know, because um, the last thing I want to do is get caught my pants down. Be- is this area, um, that are the municipalities around it similar or are they red zoning or what's that situation like? I mean, everyone, every town is allowing, I mean, I think 90% of uh, towns are allowing cannabis establishments, but there's very rare ones that are allowing you to grow on your own property commercially. Is there a hemp scene in mass? Like are people growing outdoor hemp for fiber? Because there could be be pollen flying around everywhere, which might make outdoor only feasible for concentrate. And maybe that's perhaps why you're seeing it. Um, Yeah, I mean, well, no, the only, right. Well, I got the information from another guy that said the guys growing outdoors is typically signed for concentrate. And he was telling me that the concentrate is like a thousand dollars per pound versus, you know, flour, which is, you know, it's still, I guess on the, on a very low end, it's like $3,000 a pound here still. so, um, yeah, I'm not too sure about what uh, I just, I had asked somebody who was running a big uh, facility up here. Uh, it's a, re- a huge facility and he was just giving me his, his insight. He never said, he said, you could, you could, you could make very good quality canvas, but it just needs to be environmentally controlled correctly. So, I mean, you know, he wasn't like knocking it, I guess. Right. And you have the advantage of, of the sunlight in the summertime. So your margins are going to be way better 
I mean, eventually I, I really find it hard to believe that we're going to be growing cannabis inside for forever. And the only inside growing is going to be people's gardens at home and, and maybe, uh, maybe greenhouses, but, uh, I I'd really be surprised if indoor is sustained forever. Uh, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But I also wonder about the regions where we'll be growing outdoors, right? I mean, all of this is sort of impelled upon us by an, an odd legal structure. I mean, if this was a commodity like, you know, bananas, we'd just grow bananas where it was climate appropriate to grow bananas, and then we'd ship them everywhere else in the world. Um, cannabis isn't like that. And so it, it's hard to seeing it sort of come to, to that degree. It's going to take a long time if there's still illegality places because, and if they make like outdoor limited, people grow indoors just to evade being known that they're growing, you know? Or a security thing too. Anywhere that it's illegal, there's going to be that like red market mm-hmm. that pays a little bit more and then they're, that'll make indoor viable for a certain amount of people. But if it becomes legal in every country across the entire world, like Colombia is going to be growing it at such a scale and, and they are currently and exporting it to countries that will then allow it to be imported. And a lot of people will be like, well, fuck, if I can get it for this X amount of dollars per pound, then it doesn't make sense for them to grow it. And a lot of places are going to just stop. Or yeah, Oklahoma, just, Oklahoma, you don't have to go that far. Oklahoma is fucking growing the shit ton out of weed right now. That's and how that's Oregon, how we must maintain that the outdoors boop so the illegal market could stay in play. No, I'm joking. Look at Oregon. <laughs> I mean, Oregon, I just saw a... Uh, I want to say it was a $30 ounce and the buds were dank. Like I, the photos, it was trimmed. Well, it was big, frosty ass, colorful nugs. And that's what's available in Oregon. They just mass produce so much and they have a good climate. And a lot of people that do know what the hell they're doing and they can produce crops at very, 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 very low cost. So like Spartan said, indoor is not sustainable long-term. I don't think for a lot of people um, controlled environment greenhouses, I think have the highest potential because I think the sun personally is the, most amazing light for plants it's what they've all evolved under i guess and uh, it has so many spectrums that grow lights just don't offer and that with the supplemental lighting to give it the perfect amount of ppfd all day long given the right temperature humidity and all that stuff it's just like i think the the uh, high-end stuff is going to be grown in greenhouses and then the more like bud light essentially um the mass market commercial stuff for low cost will be grown outdoors like corn I I, I agree with that. And it should be. The other thing that could complicate this, though, is the cost of electricity. Um, There's a few places where they grow much lower value crops under indoor artificial lighting, Um, like in Iceland, where they grow a lot of low low value vegetables under completely artificial lighting. But it's because the geothermal electricity in Iceland makes the cost of electricity so low that they're essentially just like banking it in vegetables. Um, so there are some, I mean, that's something that we're all sort of taking off the equation and sort of the, the cost of electricity, but, um, and it doesn't necessarily make sense to sort of harvest, for example, solar energy and then redirect it to indoor lighting. But eh, you're going to see things like that as, as electricity as the cost of power potentially changes that's happening right now in california i know people with solar setups that power their grow and their house and everything else yeah uh, i mean i have a solar panels on my house that power my lights and they produce more than enough power to power my lights 
for my little grow, but I mean, I have like a big solar panels and, and just the little grow. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely depends on the cost of electricity. They use, um, of course, sorry, ahead, with my, sorry, well, with my bias too, there's also the, you know, the IPM aspect, if you get pests and other sorts of things, um, not just insects and mites, but also microbial pathogens and, yep. and that kind of stuff. So like, although it is kind of ironic to funnel the solar energy into solar panels and then into a battery and then power your artificial lighting that way, right. it's like you're subsidizing that not only with what you're saying, but also weather and um, other environmental pressures like pests. And I know people spend tons of money commercially and also, you know, residentially uh, on pest abatement. And I always tell people that, um, you know, the best cost benefit you know analysis for a lot of your your changes are actually zero dollars and zero cents they're just how you uh change how you grow uh in a way you know like um or it's a buy one buy once cry once sort of thing with like a physical uh mesh screen barrier or something like this right so uh, i definitely think that um for a lot of people it's just not practicable or for in a lot of cases right and i live in california which is oftentimes very um very conducive and yet still uh, people have to watch out for that. Well, the thing with cannabis is there's a huge quality premium on this crop. So there's like one price for, for sort of mass produced commodity crop and, and you're able to command a higher value for a higher quality crop. And as long as that's the case and and to the extent that it's the case with cannabis, I think there's going to be, um greenhouse is fine getting back to like sort of the tripartite of indoor outdoor versus greenhouse i mean greenhouses with supplemental lighting is absolutely the way to go if you can get away with that at that scale it's a big sort of investment in startup costs um but you know for a consistent crop in across various climates and considering the quality premium that you're able to command with with cannabis I definitely think the indoor growing for that quality market is going to stay. Silence. Sorry, I was not. I couldn't get my mute button fast enough. But I still think it's the one thing that we have. We've kind of skirted around it and, and flirted with it a little bit. But one thing that I think is mandatory. I mean, in your situation, for sure, Kyle, is, I mean, I wouldn't even attempt outdoor just for the pollen factor alone. If everyone's allowing it around you, if, you know, it's, le- it's fairly legal for anyone to grow outside, there's going to be pollen outside. So you want to be in a greenhouse so at least you can filter your incoming air and uh, right. prevent at least the pollen. So I guess, I guess, well, tomorrow I got to call them in uh, another town called New Braintree because both of them have, uh, one home is sitting on five acres and the other one's sitting on 31 acres, which, and they're both under $400,000. And uh, basically the one that's sitting on all the land is the one that has outdoor cultivation only. So I guess if they'll allow me to do a greenhouse, I think we'll go ahead and try and pursue that home. But if they don't, I I don't think I'm just going to bank on me trying to produce really good, just straight rugged outdoor weed uh it's just my question would be um initially i mean your business as it stands now as you sell seeds and subcool even talked about like him growing indoor he said what can you get for you know a pound of bud at the best time ever it was like i don't know seven or eight thousand per pound and even if you could get that today which no one is getting that today 
it pales in comparison to what you could get from the same exact grow room full of seeds. If you can get a market of people buying your packs at a hundred dollars per 10 pack, whatever, and you're selling them out because you, that you can make thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of seeds in a much smaller space. And as a breeder, I mean, how much space do you need outdoor if you could isolate a certain amount of area and I don't know how many seeds you're selling. I don't know what your numbers are like on the back end, but um, I do know that there are a lot of people dedicating outdoor areas to breeding, like even hemp, like Oregon CBD. Those guys aren't growing it for flour. They're growing to sell seeds to big farms. You can go down the wormhole of greenhouses, dude, and they have them basically that you you pretty much feel like you're in a fucking indoor facility, dude. I've been in there. You can drop walls. You can make fucking six flower rooms if you want to you can do light up and it can be all automatic i mean you can get crazy as, as you want to get it's basically so indoors question, outdoor that's the question i have for you guys right now so once i saw that uh that literature in the bylaws i was trying to do any you guys have any decent links that i can write down for uh you know 2500 5000 square foot roughly around that area with greenhouses or thousand thousand square a thousand square feet are you talking about like a greenhouse company, like a manufacturer? Yeah, I'm like, this isn't the kind of thing you're going to buy on Amazon. No. There's like <laughs> no. next-gen greenhouse. There's a few yeah, other yeah. ones, but you're going to pay the cannabis tax. A lot of these people would actually suggest you go through and source these materials yourself through like a regular greenhouse company and, and do something that you can oh, something, something build. And then, yeah, I, I honestly think you're going to save money if you do it locally. And there's probably a lot of people around you that have been doing, I don't know, uh, That's true. or yeah, I'm sure daisies I'm or something. Sure. Yeah, I'm sure even just going to like a local nursery that's using greenhouses probably has some decent insight or something. You definitely want like the highest quality ones. Like if, if you're going for cannabis though, because you want to have the ultimate level of control, like, like Spartan was saying, sealing it. Like you could pour a concrete slab and then right. you have a drain underneath like tables. So it literally looks like you're indoors, outdoor. Somebody else um, earlier in the chat was like, well, I think maybe it'll only be considered outdoor if you're on like a dirt floor greenhouse which might be part of the law. So it is something right. you have to dig deeper into Massachusetts law and see De- what definitely the there are some, allow. There's some interesting loopholes there for sure. Like Jack is saying, and um, yeah, I guess we don't really have that information, uh, but I definitely agree. Some sort of shelter, you know, even if you're outdoors and uh, you're growing your plants in like a pot and you put, like I've said with moths, like a mesh screen is better than nothing. And that's not really a greenhouse either. So there is definitely something to be said. Somebody else in the chat um, a while ago was making some sort of comment about what if they had produced like a sloped, like dug out a pit and produced like a sloped, uh, a roofing essentially. A um, wally peeny. You know, with, with, huh? It's, it's called, called a wally peeny greenhouse. Yeah. Exactly. So, is, you know, so are they going to regulate it that way? It really just depends on how they define. Well, and even you if you do. don't do a wally peeny, if you wanted to grow year round in uh, mass or in uh, Michigan, there's a guy go on youtube and look up like growing citrus in michigan in my greenhouse he uses geothermal where he dug a trench underneath and Mm. uses fans that are actually solar power and that was something i want to mention earlier with the solar a lot of people that are growing greenhouses they have these little green fans that just hang on like their poles that have a little solar panel on it and it runs the fan for you so at least cuts down some of your cost right there um but the using either a wallapini where you dig out and then you have like the greenhouse cover over top of it or geothermal where you're pumping i think the earth is like 65 degrees roughly year round uh, underground so you can pump that into your greenhouse and plants that would be dead in the winter are able to live at 65 and higher um, especially you, if you're starting to supplement light and some heat heaters and things in there kyle have you ever uh done a light up <laughs> no nah, man uh, yeah because 
That you don't have to have the enclosement. You just cover the tarp at night if they. But I gotta imagine that, like outdoors, probably means not using lights. I hope they include greenhouses. That would make it like easier for you, right? Yeah, and I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, I'm willing to, uh, you know, if I'm gonna do, if I'm gonna like basically move somewhere and live there permanently, like I want to be able to do year-round harvest, or else I'm just not execute, you know, utilizing my time there. So, uh, but yeah, I'm hoping. I'm calling tomorrow during the work week, so I'll know this coming Sunday with you guys what I got for an answer. So uh, we'll, we'll find out. The uh, dirt floor and like not having a airtight environment doesn't necessarily put me off. But again, like it would depend on what the how long you have a decent climate in Massachusetts for. One of the, a story that I could share is a guy who won the Golden Tarp Awards, which is like a light depth competition in Northern California. He won it with a carport from Costco, like one of those little things that you pull underneath for your car to like give you shade. And he would just pull his tarp over that, like a panda film. So it just, um, there's whole large levels of, you know, quality in, in greenhouses. And like the American one was talking about, they used to call it black boxing in Humboldt. They didn't even have tarps. They'd just take like a refrigerator box and put it over their plant for 12 hours a day. And that would make it have the dark cycle earlier. So they would get like more uh, basically outdoor crops per season than just the one full season plant. So. Yeah, but I think he's going to run into winter. I mean, he just said something that was really important, which is that he wants to grow year round. Uh, I, you know, you can do no, that in, in a well heated greenhouse, but past that, I mean, you're talking a sealed up space. I mean, you know what Massachusetts winters are like. You've lived there. So, um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been negative, negative six. The last right. Week. So. Yeah. I mean, you're talking indoors, really, to, to grow even in a greenhouse when it's negative outdoors. You got to have a pretty have a pretty good R rating on those windows in order to, yeah, that's to not buddy. be just sort of bleeding your, your heat. So um, I'd look for a jurisdiction that would let you grow indoors, man. That's that would be my advice in this situation. Yeah, I mean, there is a home up in uh, Heath, Massachusetts, which is like two hours, the farthest northwest possible in our state that has a. Uh, uh, it's really cool though. So it, it has a really beautiful home. It's sitting on 10 acres and it already, and 40 feet from the house is a, a four car garage. That's fully, uh, fully uh, done. It's got everything, sheetrock, heat. And I was like, wow, talk about a perfect scenario. So, I mean, the only downfall is, is, you know, uh, it's just, it's in the middle of nowhere, but I mean, you, I, I understand that I can't have everything uh, all at once, you know? So I think we, that, that, that is an option. Uh, and that's indoors. So in the middle yeah. of nowhere is part of everything, having everything in my books. <laughs> you just gotta be like, like, uh, like heaven to me. <laughs> gotta be like Frank Gigax and just dig a fucking bunker underground. <laughs> That'd be a I like way to Smiley's go. idea of uh, you know, just put the greenhouse on a boat. Uh, no problems. You know, just go to international waters. I see here that um U.S. Congress will allow a Virginia-class submarine for about uh, $3.5 billion, if you have some. So almost as much money as it would take to put all the lights on. Um, so uh, I, I, uh, I'm reminded for some reason of um, uh, a hemp grow that I worked with where they got a quote from a light um, producer uh, about how much, how much it would cost them to like, get enough lights and install lights for like, supplemental lighting. And it was like, they were asking for like a million dollars and it was just ridiculous. So, yeah. I don't know uh, what everybody else's experiences are. Like, I guess Spartan's actually doing, but for a lot of what I'm seeing in 
a lot of commercial markets doesn't seem like it's even as enjoyable as uh, what many people have access to in their own home grow. Maybe that's a, some home grower bias, but uh, a lot of people I know working in the commercial cannabis space aren't happy with their jobs and um, mm-hmm. the heavy, not just the heavy regulation, but like the overly corporate, um, like Spartans at one, it's like a caregiver owned kind of facility where it's a lot different than a lot of the people I've talked to up in Canada and even in Michigan, like the MCMA grows over there. Um, where it's just like they're pumping out boof and it's a corporate uh, shit fest and there's spider mites and even on the buds they're like putting on their website have spider mites and like mold and damage and it's just like um, I think a lot of those people that thought their dream job was like getting into the cannabis industry are quickly jaded sometimes if they don't get in at a great facility like Spartan or maybe Brandon would operate or you know facilitate yeah for sure I mean I I shopped around man when I when I entered into this industry, I wasn't, um, I didn't just jump at, jump at my chance to have anything that came up. I am, I interviewed in many, many different places before I decided, well, I was actually, honestly, I wasn't impressed with anything until I went to Minicanico and I'm not even talking about the plants. I mean, it's just me talking to the people, the people that I was going to be working with. And, um, you know, once I found the, the right people, everything else comes together. Yes, you just got to find the people you can work with. Yeah, you just got to have the people. I mean, as a grower, you you already know what your grow style is and how much, um, how serious you take it or how not serious you take it, I guess. And then um, you just have to find your match out there. Like I knew I I didn't have the capital to start my own thing. Uh, I knew that wasn't going to happen. But I did know that I could learn a hell of a lot by working at a place with somebody who did. And so that's, that was my strategy. I was like, well, instead of just sitting back wishing I had enough money to do the thing, I'm just going to learn from somebody who does. Why not? And I'm still doing the thing I want to do. And so that's, that was kind of my strategy, but I mean, it's still I early too, man. you, know, you yeah. never know what comes your way, man. You always run into somebody who's, who was ready to do something. He needs a partner and he's like, damn, Spartan knows how to kill it. So like, you know, it should, Dude, always I, I, no, that's cool too. But, and it's like, I've turned stuff down like that too. You know what I mean? I, I get offers all the time and you know, I'm, I'm 43 years old and my house is paid for. And my car is paid for, man. I don't need to work myself to death anymore. Yeah. So right now I enjoy getting up and going to my job at Mint Canico and we have fun. The, the guys there, you know, we're a team, but we're also fucking friends. We hang out at each other's houses and shit. We all we're buddies. So why the fuck would I not keep doing that? So it's going to be pretty hard, pretty fucking hard to, at this point in my life, to pull me away from that. It's going to be a pretty goddamn good offer to uh, to make me move from there. Good luck anybody else in Michigan. I'll say that. But, uh, <laughs> you're dead on with, uh, I think we all should kind of reflect and be more like Spartan and enjoy the moment and uh, what you're doing and love what you got. It seems like you got a really good setup and you've, you're doing something that a lot of people have already probably been dreaming of for a long time we're just getting to see thousands of plants and a huge growth facility and uh doing well and uh being able to do it right so i think it's a good example of what you know a more commercial production can look like but a lot of them i think other end <laughs> that aren't maybe talked about as much are uh, not doing it so well so well that's i mean it's a special case it's i think it's because we still stayed relatively small yes we're a commercial operation but we're only five people. That's the whole team. I mean, literally I can text 
my boss who owns the fucking company at any time. I have his personal cell phone number. And it's, you know, you don't get that at a big giant corporation and you're not going to get that kind of communication. You're not going to get that kind of teamwork throughout the whole, you know, I don't know how many hundreds of employees they have. It's, it's commercial, not possible. corporate. That's exactly. what it is. Commercial, <laughs> yeah. not corporate. You, exactly. you guys are uh, putting it up at a commercial scale, but you're using the home grower and craft caregiver mentality. And uh, I just want to give us and Russ, who just jumped in to introduce himself. Welcome in, Brandon. You're muted. What's going on, guys? Uh, keep on going like I, I wasn't here. <laughs> so we, were, we did talked a little about indoor versus outdoor and greenhouse quality earlier, but now we were just kind of talking about like uh, commercial cannabis and how a lot of it is kind of corporate and people maybe aren't loving their experience working in like a corporate cannabis, but Spartan's got a kind of good crew over there. And I was saying even before you got here that I'd like to work at like a Brandon Rust type uh, commercial production but not necessarily a lot of the ones that I'm around here in California. Oh yeah. It, it takes, it takes a, a, a team of passionate people. You know, they have to find people that want to do that type of work because if you, if you're missing that passion, then their worth ethic is going to suffer. To me, it's so cliche too. Um, you know, people, you, what you just said right there. Um, so true, but also people say that all the time. And I feel like people get desensitized to it. I can speaking of a personal experience, I know that I have, um, but uh, I want to just reinforce what you're saying, because um, certainly when it comes to operations, when things are going fine, maybe everything's okay, but it's, it's when things go not fine. And oftentimes this happens in the cannabis space commercially for various reasons, not even related to growing. You could be the best grower, uh, but something outside of that paradigm is going to affect you like, like laws and regulations and, um, or supply shortages that you can't do anything about, for example. So, you know, uh, in those or pests, that, that's more grow related. So, but in my experience, people who are able to weather those stressors are people who have um, a really tight knit community of people who are passionate and are willing to, to do those things that are oftentimes, in my opinion, sort of extra uh, I'm not maybe extra commercial almost. So maybe you wouldn't even want to expect that behavior in some ways, but you, you were going to be benefited by having that passion, you know? Um, well, I, I think one of the things that I find too, because I do a lot of consult, uh, consultation work. Um, I've been going everywhere. In fact, I have a thing out in Arizona next week, but I, I, I talk to them and I tell them about team building skills and about, you know, ways that they can improve that, the relationship with their coworkers so that they can have functionality and synergy within the workplace as well. And again, part of that is, you know, finding that passion, but also I I've also found that one of the biggest things is that stress factors that you were talking about that comes from um, areas where things that unexpected happen or unplanned or for, or even in the case of a lot of people that I work with, um, eliminating guesswork out of something can really improve the the morale of the 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 group, the people, the cultivators, right? Because in my experience, what usually if I'm being called, you know, to do consultation, it's because people are. Uh, at a point where they need to try to figure something out and guessing isn't going to do, they need a, a solution that is guaranteed to, 
to work and being able to offer those types of solutions to people where they're not no longer guessing at what they need to be doing to correct something makes it function so much better because they don't have that stress associated with having to figure out something through trial and error, you know? So having that eliminated really, really boosts morale. Um, and it really helps with the, just the overall operational, uh, procedures and the quality of the workspace. I think, yeah, with, uh, like the team building thing, part of your SOP has to be eliminating any like ambiguity. So if, if somebody doesn't know what they're supposed to do, they shouldn't have to guess. Like when Spartan talks about, they go into a room and there's a whiteboard up there and it says our EC in and here's our EC out. No one's confused about what the EC is and how it should be measured and, and what should be measured and when should, when it should be measured. Like all that stuff is built into the program that they have. So nobody has to ask, what do I have to do or how do I do it? And they're taught that right up front. So I think like that's really important to uh, consider when, setting up an operation is to have good SOPs for somebody who even doesn't know what the hell they're doing. Uh, if they follow the guidelines, they're going to get it right every time. I think it's great too, to just, uh, you know, what Brandon led with is that the passionate people, that's what I was looking for in my job search was somebody who was fucking passionate about it not talking dollar signs and talking fucking plants. You know what I mean? And uh, you can't, I have, I have so much passion for the plant that I don't, I feel that people can't fake their plant passion to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you're, you're not going to be able to bullshit me if I can sit here and talk to you for a half hour, maybe, but I mean, you're going to be the best actor in the world. So that's kind of, that's kind of what I was like looking for. I didn't know, I didn't put it in the right words, but Brandon said it best when he said passion. That's what I was looking for. Yeah, it's easy for some people to try and feign, but if you're around them or if you're in person with them and you get that, you know, person to person, I think it's easy to tell when somebody is real and how much they love it. Just the stuff that they choose to talk about. Like you said, it's not the dollars and cents. They're like, Oh man, we've got this new cut or this new strain. And like, have you heard about this breeder? Like we're growing their genetics and they're fire. And you know, it's, this is what people are really loving. It's dank. Not like, Hey, our ROI and you know, this amount of dollars and cents, like there's important times for business, but uh, you also have to have the passion for the bottom line. And like uh, Dr. MJ mentioned earlier, there is that bottom line, like what you could get for a crop, like Kyle, I think said a thousand dollars a pound outdoor for like concentrate or whatever. But then there's the upper end too, where like, if you can grow the dank, you get a, a premium for it. So like they're getting paid a lot more because they're growing it better. And Probably so Brandon thousand dollars a pound for outdoor, not, not, in, not in this country, <laughs> not anymore. Yeah. Massachusetts, it's a, it's a thousand dollars for a pound per, per extraction outdoors in mass. And then, uh, indoors it's 3,500 on the, on the low end for indoors. Okay. Well, that's, that's pretty good. A thousand dollars a pound in your state for outdoor. Cause it's not yeah. like that in California. It's not like oh, that yeah. in Oklahoma. It's not out. Yeah. And that's why I like, so like, even when I start to be, cause when I go to file to try and get that, my tier one license, it takes about a year and four months for them to, for me, just to even have the card, let alone the build out of the place within that stuff. So they, Massachusetts has a, a chokehold on it, but I don't mind it because it's not allowing our market up here to be like fucked up. So like, I respect it. It is, a, uh, it is kind of like a struggle to get things, to make things happen here, but it's the market's still very good up here for black and well, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, the commercial, you know, yeah. type, type situation. 
high quality herb still holds its value, you know, because there are people who want a high quality product that don't just want something that does. I mean, in my opinion, there's a lot of people who, um, and there's a lot of recipes that you can follow from nutrient countries, uh, companies, you know, like Mills and Athena and, uh, you know, whatever. Right. And you can follow those recipes and be pretty successful, but I think it's, it's the attention to detail and the extra that goes into it, finding something and not, and, and, you know, being able to differentiate yourself from what else is out on the market. If, if there's huge, huge facilities that are pumping out really pretty weed that are just, you know, uh, like, and they're doing it commercially and they're using, you know, just a standard recipe, right. And they're pumping out. It's, it's the same as, what we used to call our triple A's or our beasters back in the day, you know, they were, it was good chronic, but it was, it was what, it was what we called work, right. It was what we were selling to make money. Right. Then we had what we called, what was our good stuff, right. That was the stuff that we were cultivating our personally, these were, you know, maybe not genetics that just pumped out weight. Cause you could pump out back then, you know, like the big bud, the Cali big bud. Right. And you could pump out big weight and, get your commercial value was still good weed customers liked it but it was that extra man that afghani bull rider that p91 bud that that purple kush that sour ogs those ones that everybody would go to that were smokers right the people that were slaying in the work were buying for their percy you know that good good you know and it's the same thing those markets still exist but i think that new smokers um, when they're coming online, right? Like when I was a kid, I didn't know nothing about Mexican weed, really. That's all I could get. That's what was all around. I didn't even know about strain names. I didn't know about fucking dank chronic. And it's the same thing. So what we, what we're seeing now is our new, like our new market that was like, for me, like the pretendies and stuff like that, that is like the, the commercial weed with hype behind it, because that's, that's what new consumers are exposed to. And so what I'm seeing is that that hype stuff, it does sell, right? Because people are familiar with it. That's what they're being exposed to, but it's being able to, um, I think for, from a business standpoint, if you do cultivate that stuff, you do it really, really well craft that way you can help build your brand, your marketing awareness, build your customer base. And then you can start releasing those, those sour OGs and these other things that are really like more, have more of an effect, right. More mentally stimulating. They have higher terpene percentages, you know, and it's not just about that, that drive of, Oh, we got the new runs. We got the new Gary Payton. We got the new jealousy stuff. We got the new pure Michigan stuff, you know, cause that stuff is important, but you have to be able to find ways to kind of integrate that. Right. God damn it, Brandon. That was everything we're growing. What the fuck? <laughs> You know, but that's the thing you, you build customer basis off that. And then you can, and then you can take that, the, the real special stuff. You can take your spite Spartan glue, or you can take something like limelight and you can grow that out and be like, yeah, if they know that Mitten Canico's got fire and they're looking at your products and they see, Hey, there's something else that we haven't seen before, you know, and it really hits, you know, I think that making an association and making memories with, kind of the product is really inherent into being able to um, lock that into somebody's mind, you know, as far as a brand goes. It's funny you say that Brandon, because I brought a pack of limelight into uh, the boss just last week. So mint Canico does 
have your genetics in the vault now. I saw he was smoking it and he posted, oh, this uh, lime light from, you know, yeah. Brandon Rust or whatever. He's like, I, I saw that he posted on his story. So it seems like he likes it. They'll probably be growing it soon enough. Yeah. He, he sent me a message. He's like, yeah, go ahead and bring that pack in. <laughs> I said, all right, I'll bring it in. I mean, yeah, yeah it's, really it's definitely nice. how marketing works, right? Like uh, you got to understand human psychology and then you kind of sort of ingratiate and manipulate that way. Right. And that's a, that's a, you know, that's a very bold thing to say, I feel like, but you know, that's kind of why I always felt like that's sort of the black magics of business. It, and I've always been very as a society as a whole, it's the way that we're interacting, right? We're constantly, we're using visual stimulation as we, you know, so things operate like it's almost like subconscious, almost like the way things are marketed, right? Because we're scrolling, we're interacting like on social media or we're seeing visual signs like, and so those things all make an impression and it's just about being able to, you know, say, Hey, here we are. Like, this is what we do. It's going to be interesting um, to see what happens with like federal legislation and uh, how other markets will be more open than others and to see how the legislation kind of goes. I mean, I'm really stoked to be out here in Oklahoma because I think we have some of the most progressive uh, medical cannabis laws uh, at this point. But with the legislation that's been written um, that's going to be going to vote here soon will can really is even more progressive than what we already have. And I think that it would be a real game changer for people who are operating out here. I wanted to just touch on something you talked about with like uh, Instagram and scrolling, like uh, with food, even like it, that used to be the thing. People would take pictures of their plate or whatever. And we kind of eat with our eyes first. And like, it's all the senses, right? You smell it, you look at it. So it cannabis is kind of uh, appreciated on a lot of the stickiness between your fingers when you break it up. If you do choose to break it up, um, the actual effect. So there's a lot of different, uh, things that it can be judged upon and certain people care more about the bag appeal like when we were talking earlier about indoor versus outdoor i don't think we touched heavily on it but a lot of people i think would agree that indoor and greenhouse are going to have a little bit more bag appeal you're going to see a denser tighter nug outdoor you're going to see a leafier leafier more open looser bud uh, but often the effect i think for outdoor and greenhouse can be more potent versus like the indoor in my experience but indoor can also be extremely potent. I mean, if you cultivate in a good environment, like even though Spartan might be growing those five, we can call them hype strains or whatever. If they're doing it well, if they're fucking crushing it where other groups are growing it poorly, theirs is going to stand out and be memorable because they crushed it where the other groups are just kind of slopping it out there. Yeah. And I think what, ha- what, what it is, you know, it's not just like hype, right? Legitimately, people that know how to grow a lot of these varieties, they're, they're on the market and they're like that because they do well, right? They have some type of quality that's desirable. But if you're not able to, you know, maximize the genetic potential of that, that, that varietal, then um, you're still getting a lower quality product to the end user. And so if you're able to take something that's really popular and then do it really well on top of that, that's really where you get those return sales and that those people that are going back to your website and saying, yeah, dude, we want to order that. We want to get some more of this. It's when you have those return clients that, and you're able to just keep building, you know, your brand on. So, yeah. So yeah. Marketing. I mean, also like we've talked about many times before, especially Spartans brought up, I feel like, is this idea that, um, you know, people, we are um, very specialized 
<laughs> and we are very uh, into cannabis in a way that many people really aren't and probably won't be, you know, and that's also the, you know, story of my life with my educational, uh, you know, work and the presentations that I give, like, even with like the basics of like physiology or biology or, or pest ecology, you know, just understanding, just even understanding how the pests um, eat the plants that they do or how they get where they're going and how you can treat them is for a lot of people, super complicated. So they're going to rely on proxies. Speaking of uh, what you're talking about with like, uh, you know, their interactions with other people and other sorts of like behavioral and social proxies to judge whether something is good or not. Um, and there, it's not a lot of times it's what convinces them is not going to be in a, a personal interaction um, at first. What I mean by to say is like with the actual cannabis itself. Ideally, I think that's true, but um, you're, you're right. As, as the markets increase and get larger, more people are going to have more options, which means that they're not as likely to have a, a personal interaction or connection with that particular product unless something biases them. Right. So, so this is my one, um, my one addition to that though. Cannabis is special in a way that it is, um, we have a tolerance to it. So I feel that people that are just entering the market will like the, what are, we're, we're looking at the lower quality, be, you know, stuff, because it doesn't have to, it just has to have a little bit of THC and they're going to feel something, but eventually they're going to develop a tolerance and they're going to want to be able, they're going to have to smoke more than one or two puffs off of it. And they're going to want to enjoy the flavor. And then they're going to start looking at a little higher quality, maybe then. So I think that as long as you can hold out, maybe as long as you're producing the best quality stuff, the craft quality stuff, there's always going to be a market for you. But I wonder if what you just described, all those qualities will still be, uh, I mean, I guess it depends on what you mean by quality, right? But like, what if that is super attainable, I guess, in like, the, even in like the lower quote unquote quality products, like what if there isn't really a delineation? We, we disagree. That's where we disagree. I don't think that's, and Spartan, I think probably agrees with me on this. We don't see that happening. We don't see the outdoor, you know, mass grown stuff ever competing with indoor or controlled environment greenhouse where to the point, like we are going to be the, and I think, and I'm comfortably accepting this already um, as a home grower. I think we're all kind of in this category. We are the people that brew their own beer. We're obsessed with this. Most of our friends, even the stuff people that we give it to that appreciate it, like, oh, this is really good shit. They're not as into cannabis as we are. <laughs> Most people are not as passionate about cannabis as everybody here on this panel. So we're the exception uh, in society. We're not the regular Joe, I guess. Like most people that are growing are super, super passionate and like have dedicated like a big part of their life to uh, this plant. I don't know. Um, I feel like that's the literal point or ideal of like a lot of agricultural pursuits and breeding and things like that. I agree hundred percent with that. Um, I do think that in time breeding will allow outdoor to be better quality without needing uh, great seasons and without needing pesticides or like even IPM. Like somebody said, the best IPM is going to be bred into cannabis is one of the comments I saw on a video recently. And I, that's interesting because in some crops you do see and i don't think there's any crops out there that are completely uh, you just grow it and don't have to worry about it but a lot of them have very strong resistances to the common things in certain areas and i think we'll start to see more and more of that like stuff yeah. bred for mass stuff bred for michigan stuff bred for northern california i agree with well, that but i think there's always a desire for new flavors there's always a desire for new yeah. flavors so there's always going to be room for new cultivars 
Yeah. And, and you know what, also with the development of the ag science that's been really prevalent heavily within hemp and cannabis as well over the last couple of years, you know, when I'm you know, like, for what I do, I'm really, I'm, I'm really successful in all the people that I'm working with. They all are successful at constantly producing high quality, high yielding crops because they're basically, you know, taking, they're eliminating the guesswork out of it and they're looking at the agronomic data. And when you do that, just like you would for corn or soy or wheat, and you know, and you have these target levels set and you can do your analytics on your harvest on acreage, um, that's, that's really where you're going to see a large increase in the quality of outdoor, right? Because it's not just, you know, it's not like a, like someone like myself that, or I guess someone like, uh, that just is using like a formula, right. As a, as opposed to the data, because with that data, you're adding exactly what you need when you need it, where you need it. Right. So there's a time, a place and a need, right. How much of what do you need? You don't over apply things. And then you can, you know, retest soil. You can take things like uh, tissue samples and, and do analysis to make sure that the levels are being attained for the most healthiest possible outcome in those conditions. And so when you add in those agronomic data that, uh, and you apply those types of practices along with your integrated pest management, you can really obtain a high quality product. Um, the question is how at this scale is that harvest going to be treated at, uh, at harvest? How is that crop going to be treated at harvest? Right? Because that one of the biggest defining factors in quality, right? Is how is it maintained? That's why craft smaller places have higher quality because they're able to maintain a better standard for their, for the way that they harvest their plants, for the way that they dry their plants, for the way that they're handled after they're dry and they're trimmed and pruned. So all those things are affecting quality down the line and people don't go to those lengths when you have 10, 15, 20, a hundred acres of a product, these things become mechanized, right? And so the question really is who's going to be the person to come up with creative solutions to be able to take a high quality product from the field and maintain that quality until it gets packaged. That is, is a, this is one of the uh, criticisms that I see for even things like um, uh, living soil or certain types of organic growing and practices therein, which is the idea that like, much like it, how it was sort of, um, well, a bad idea for like Mao Zedong to like tell the countrymen to all have their own steel. And what if everyone, what if we democratize steel uh, refinery and we had people produce steel at their houses, we could do it so much cheaper, we could do it so much easier. But um, of course, the problem with that was quality control. Um, so similarly, if um, a large amount of people went to this sort of Jeffersonian ideal of cultivation, um, and perhaps buttressed by like what you're saying, uh, Brandon, about uh, you know technique and also sort of like technological innovations that could help help uh, mitigate some of those issues, um, it would be sort of a difficult thing to do, practically impossible thing to do, really, 
uh, to quality control a lot of that because even people who are passionate can make mistakes or have emergencies happen um, and various other sorts of things. So relying on people uh, to feed each other in that way um, from a human behavior standpoint might be, we might have vulnerabilities, I suppose. It also is multiple more points of potential failure, you know? Right. Can I throw out a real world example of just something that I think directly relates to this? It's Smiley's Garden, who's in the chat right now, has given me the example. He has what's called the trim bag. Many of us probably cringe when you see it or hear it. That bag where you throw your buds into it and you shake it around and it knocks off the loose leaf and it's collected down into the bottom with a lot of keef as well as the then the buds come out and they're kind of like rounded off. There's no loose leaf at all. So it's not hand trimmed, which a lot of people like look down on it, whatever. His patients, when he started hand trimming, started complaining, hey, we want it the old way. We don't like it this way. <laughs> Go back to the old way. So even though they're technically being robbed of some trichomes or whatever minor percentage is knocked off, he claims like, well, he's grown it so much better than these larger facilities that losing a little trichome knocked off on the trim is still going to be better than the shit you're getting from a lot of the shops. And I agree with him. Um, but that being said, I just think it's interesting that there is a market that prefer the machine trimmed or the, the tossed bud look where it's a super tight, almost like marbled bud. Yeah. You know, what's really strange to me. Okay. Because for so long, my whole career, right. I'm taking these, I'm taking these things that are on a stick still. I'm trimming them while they're on the stick at the very end, right? I'm cutting them up, cutting them off. And we have these just absolutely fucking gorgeous weed. There's no stems in there. It's literally all just nug. And when I see a lot of people, oh, I got this fire, they pull out these bags, right? And it looks like even if it was hand trimmed, even their trimmers are a lot of time, they're cutting off the the body of the weed, like the shape of the weed. And they're almost just forming it into these fucking like triangles. And it's like, that is not what that is never how I was taught things should be. And when I tell people how to trim, I'm like, look, you're going to take the water leaf off, but you're not sitting in there like hacking at it. You're, you're like, you go with the grooves, you, you treat it like, um, like what it is, you look at all of the, all the curves on it and you kind of flow with those and you keep that. So it has that visual appeal. I mean, for the really, really top shelf stuff. And most of the time, what I'm seeing is even when people are taking a really high quality product, they're, they're cutting into that. Yeah. It's unfortunate. It's like a, a haircut cutting off your ear and you know, not cutting around your head, you know, like they should keep the preserve your person's head and ears and everything, but just take a little off the top. But at the hour, um, Kyle mentioned that he has to leave at eight o'clock out there, which is five o'clock here on the West coast. So I want to pass it over to Kyle for final thoughts and shout out. Thanks for guys uh, for answering all my questions. I think everybody had some really good stuff tonight to say. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'll let you guys know next Sunday uh what the town said and basically you know i plan on making a move in the next few weeks and getting a home uh so aka that starts the new journey for me but um random news for anywhere that does live in michigan uh there is a facility out there that will be that currently has basically all my breeder cuts and uh so there should be some of pure breedings weed out in michigan if anybody wants to uh i know michigan i know spartan lives there but <laughs> what's the name uh, of the facility you know uh, I don't want to go grow. too far into all oh, that okay. stuff yet right. until we get till you know I, mean? I don't want to uh, do that yet. But um, 
should be happening. It's, it's the contracts have been signed. So, um, yeah, it's really excited about that just for people to try my stuff out there and kind of maybe get the name out of like some really good stuff that I've held on to for years now. And I just, you know, cause like there's, there's a company here called like Boston clone company and, you know, and other clone companies like, um, the, yeah, I think of the name down, uh, Cali. And so just, there's multiple nurseries and it's like, I've been so twist, twisted and torn between releasing my breeder cuts and having people use them in their grows or holding on to them and just exclusively using them. And, you know, there's two different paths and two different outcomes with that. But, um, uh, I just decided to hold on to, and it just seems to kind of work out in the manner where no one else has my stuff quite yet. Um, except a few people that I really trust. Um, so anyways, sorry, I'm blabbing, but so we'll see what happens with that. Um, I'll keep you guys posted on that, but, uh, yeah, pure breeding on, uh, Facebook, pure underscore breeding on Instagram, purebreeding.com. If you want feminized seeds, uh, I will have credit card processing hopefully in the next, uh, week, which is pretty rare for our industry. And other people have it. I've just been having a hard time with it. Um, so that's pretty interesting. And other than that, I mean, I'm just really glad that we're all still doing this and, uh, take care everyone. Thanks for joining us, Kyle. Have a good week. Have a good night, buddy. There he goes. Girl, love, Kyle. Girl, love, man. Spartan Grown uh, copied over a few questions from the chat that maybe we could uh, take some stabs at. Mikey Grow says, can anyone, or before we get into those, does anybody else have to leave at the hour mark? I don't want to keep you guys waiting. We're all here. Oh, but I wanted to mention something about the trim. Let's finish that trimming. up before yeah. we go to the next topic. Yeah, let's uh, go for it. Yeah. Do you hear about the... Uh, you know, uh, farmer's trim, they call it, where they leave like most of the sugar leaf on it and let the consumer chip it off. What do you think about that maneuver, uh, Brandon? Well, here's the problem, right? So I've I've uh, trimmed weed that was just, I was like, man, I don't want to cut a whole, whole lot of the sugar leaf off just because it's so beautiful. So sugary, it's yeah. It's right. And so you'll do kind of like a, like kind of nice but the problem is after time goes by those pounds will dry out a little bit and those are the first things to dry and then it ends up being a cake at the bottom of the bag and people will be like oh there's fucking you know i got yeah, one yeah. Cake at the bottom of my bag and it's like oh good point and it'll good be point. like oh it was it was it was eight grams you owe me eight more you know or you like, know did, someone you, was doing it in cali they were leaving the whole stick so you get like a stick in a tube for like it was an eighth or a quarter or whatever, a stick in a tube with the with the leaf on it still, which is interesting. But um well, yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm an explicit, I trim off I, I am I'm an idiot. I trim off every single sugar leaf there is, but I don't touch it. I use actual like pet uh pedicure manicure scissors, they curve. So like what you're saying, I could get it at the very base of the leaf about yeah, hitting That's any of the buns, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And not knocking off any trikes. Sorry. I mean, what I've always done. You're I knocking off trikes. That's what the scissor hash right is. Right at the bottom of the leaf. Just took the whole thing off. My opinion yeah. is, is this is so, this, this product is sold by weight. If they don't want me to trim it, I am happy not to. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with Brandon. I mean, if you leave leaves on the bud, when it gets to a certain point of dryness, any kind of friction breaks those leaves off and just creates dust in the bottom of the bag or dust in the bottom of the jar, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and sort of leaf matter. Um, I don't know. It's interesting hearing your thoughts about the the friction trimming, Jack, just in general. You know, I, I mean, and I've done this live on the show. I've always been a wet trimmer. 
I've always trimmed my plants pretty clean, like the day that I chop them and I dry them trimmed. Um, that allows a lot more of the leaf matter to be removed from the plant because the, the flowers are still sort of flexible at that point and you can cut most of the leaves off by their petioles. Um, when you dry trim, a lot of the leaves get sort of encrusted into the buds, like the buds dry up and sort of shrink around them. And then when you dry trim those off, you can get much prettier buds, basically. The, the buds look better, I think, dry trimmed, but there's more incorporated leaf matter. And, and that's just a trade-off. I think no matter sort of how you trim once they're dry trim, I think it's the wet trim, dry trim issue. Um, I used my last harvest for the first time. I just used that trim bag and I was reasonably impressed with it in terms of a dry trimmer, um, but it's definitely a dry trimmer and it has like all of the same issues that, that other dry trimming would do. And it required a little bit of cleanup on the back end, but boy, howdy did it save some time. Like I've never trimmed my plants so fast before. Um, I'm not sure sort of what that, that, trade-off is and I think there's different goals that different people have when I trim my buds I don't really care about the, the the bag appeal of the bud after I'm done trimming I mean it's going into my grinder and then into like my stuff right I'm going to use that um if you're selling it if you got to have like good bag appeal then I understand that as being a trimming decision and a trimming sort of goal um, the other trimming goal is to like do as good of a job trimming out as many of the leaves as you can. I, again, assuming that that is your goal. Um, I do think that there's other purposes to those leaves, but, you know, I'm not a big fan of leaving it in the product that's going to be combusted. So um, one thing that you could do to avoid the leaves falling off, and I saw Sunabis, I think is their name on Instagram. She does the dry farming up in Humboldt. Um, she sells her buds in, in like giant sealed mason jars. So you could have more of like a farmer's trim. And if it's going into a glass amber ball mason jar, then it's not going to get knocked around and, and have a yeah. bunch of loose trim. Cause I, I tend to You'd have to not... keep it up at about like 65% humidity though. If it gets much drier than that, the like any kind of movement is just going to start breaking off the leaves. There, there may be, like a narrow range of humidity where you could do that if that really was your goal. But I think that's probably what they're aiming for. Of course, it's you keep the it too crowd. moist. And they're selling at farmer market type events yeah. where they set it on a table and it's not like it's getting shaken around, but that's not as prevalent as it once was out here, unfortunately. But home growers so, can get away with that. They stick it in their fridge or wherever they store their cannabis. Are you guys watching chat? Did you see Ancient Soul Grown's comment about the, he claims the wet, Hold on, let me go. I'll read it verbatim. It says because... the trichomes erupt when wet trim yeah. compared to drying before trim. The heads create think... a harder sh shell. He says there's a paper. You should cite it. Right. I think from my experience, when I did, I you know, because I've done it all. I've done wet trim, dry trim, and I basically sometimes start where by the end it's dry. But if the sunlight is on, <laughs> yeah, I know the that. sun is out, and you see it beaming in through the window, and you're dry trimming something, you could see, literally see the trichomes flying through the air. So you may not erupt, but you're, they're just flaking off the plant at that time. And maybe yeah, they're aerosolizing. Too dry, That's why you, you know, trim over a tray. Right, right, Fuck. right. But yeah, but yeah, you, know, you smoke that shit and it's fucking stealing amazing. Stealing it from your customer. 
And and <laughs> let me let me add this. You're the you're cutting why, off every single leaf and there's scissors. The reason hash. I'm taking those leaves is because I'm gonna make my cookies with them and I'm gonna feel groovy. So yeah, that's not stealing yeah. from the customer. There's all sorts of different uh yeah, motivations. No. So no. I might yeah, I get to spend like trim crazy, but yeah, I get to keep the I get to keep the sugar leaves. So that's I got to I got to chime in on that because that was definitely my other experience. I ended up with a lot less trim and I'm like, shit, I'm not going to be able to make very much butter out of this because like I'm used to getting just more leaf out of the buds when I trim. And and I like that that sugar leaves. I mean, that definitely is another part of the harvestable product as far as I'm concerned. It's just not the the buds. I'll say this, if you you don't have a, uh, I don't care what brand you get, trim bin, trim tray, a 150 micron screen, trim over a screen. You will yeah. literally, the first time you do it, that bin, whatever it costs, 50 bucks, 60 bucks, 70, even if it was a hundred dollars, it pays for itself the first time. If you harvest a dank crop and you trim over top of it, cause you just, you guys have like so much John, fucking beef. Yeah. John Burfalo, I think is the way you pronounce it on, or, or not, B. Though, I saw his post. He has these big ass trays, um, you know, dry sift uh, things and he just did a post recently where he's trimming over the tray and he's like and it's not a trim tray though it's like that's how he always it's like a, a table like, size they put yeah, black like, mat under if you're not trimming over a screen you look what you're missing and he lifted it up and he scraped it together and it was like the most cleanest it's like the first bounce you know that's 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 it, man. That's the good That's stuff. That's what Frenchie right calls there. the creme. You know, it's like un yeah. unfucked with. It. it literally got trimmed off, and it's perfect. Like no my reward for trimming, dude. I love it. I smoke it all the time, dude. I have two little. Well, I'm getting pretty low, but I've got a little bit left. I- I'm about to go grab my trim tray. I've got it's full, like just coated the entire thing. It, they're amazing for exactly what they're meant to do. If you trim over it, they'll catch a lot of that stuff that Tao was talking about flying through the room. That's dry. Um, yeah, even wet trimming, um, I think, over it, you'll still collect a little bit. That trim tray, you get different microns too, right? From what I understand, I need to get me one of those. I've only seen yeah. the 150, and then the other one is like a giant green plastic one that's more for like, you know, small like buds will fall through. Small, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but those trays in the, wet and the trim, trim bins repla- are replaceable. So I think they are a couple different sizes if you want different sizes. If you I've wet trim, the comparable thing to do is to trim on a glass surface. Um, all the, like every time the plant touches it, or you have to sort of move it around a bunch of the trichomes will get stuck to that. And, um, then you just scrape it off with a razor with like a flat razor when you're done, it it kind of makes you feel like you're doing harder drugs at that point, but, um, you can get a lot of, of fresh keef that way as well. And then it's super easy to clean up. Like there's a bunch of different ways, static tech, the paint roller tech. I just saw Breeder Steve using a 15 micron bag where he put his dry sift in there and then he was vacuuming it to get like dust and shit out. And he's like anything smaller than 15 micron, he didn't care about. So there's a lot of dry sift tech out there. And even if you don't clean it up that 150 or 160, whatever the trim bin, the shit straight out of that is so fire. Like it's so fucking good on its own. I'm going to just keep advocating people get one of those products. Like I'm not sponsored, but they're so fucking good. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a home grower, you deserve it. Just invest that 50 or whatever bucks it is because it has such a fine payout. And uh, yeah. I think maybe we can go to the dry sifting or not dry sifting. Yeah. Question from Mikey grow now, unless uh, anybody else has some thoughts on trimming, but Mikey says, can anyone tell me if it's recommended to mix Botanigar WP and 
Azimax together, soil drench, or should I use these products separately? That sounds like a me question. Um, yeah. I would say that I would say that uh, uh, you could do one or the other. Um, sometimes you can mix things together, like like these two in particular. And I, I know people have done that for great success. You could also. Um, no, actually, no, uh, that's, I was going to suggest a, a product, but I don't actually think that there's a, off the top of my head, there's not a Bouveria Bassiana as a Directin mix. It was a pyrethrin mix. There's, that's Botanic Garden Max, yeah. for example. Yeah. So that's what I use too, I use a five, the Pyganic 5.0 and then the Spore Vials. <laughs> so I, I would say you could do that, although, uh, and, and of course that would save time and, and labor and that kind of a thing. Um, but if it's your first time doing it and you don't typically spray things a lot, that could add a lot of complexity um, to it. And you have to make sure things are mixed appropriately and, and um, that can be kind of a hassle. So uh, it might be just easier to do one than the other, um, in which case I would use the azadirectin first and then follow up with the biocontrol, the fungus. I think that's great advice. Does anybody else have thoughts on that? Because um... I feel like that was a very well answered question. And there's another question from uh, M. Harper. But everyone's silence, I will take that as uh, Matthew crushed it and we're moving on. So M. Harper says, How do you guys love the show? Have a question. Why do most people not reuse their cocoa? Just finished my fourth grow in the same cocoa and no difference from the first to the fourth. So I guess oh, I pass that to Dr. On yeah. Um, I don't know. I wish everybody would reuse their cocoa. The very first YouTube video I ever did was about how to reuse and recycle your cocoa. Um, it's a good idea oftentimes to, to give it another buffering soak to rinse it out. Um, but yeah, there's no reason that you can't reuse it. Uh, it's basically a neutral media. It won't hold on to a bunch of things. Uh, you know, some people have talked about, you know, getting infected with various stuff or whatever, um, keep your stuff clean. Matthew would be a better person to talk to about that. Um, but there's not really any other reasons to, to not reuse it. It will break down through time and the, the larger particles will become smaller particles and you don't want a ton of smaller particles. So I, I generally rinse it out again to get rid of some of the smarter, smaller particles, um, you lose a little bit each time and sort of eventually supplement with, with more fresh cocoa. But other than that, you can keep using it until it disappears. That's a good, I just want to uh, say that was my, that's my experience too. That's my understanding. Eagle gardens reuses his too. And a lot of other cocoa growers I know reuse it with a lot of success. So I, I think from a sustainability perspective and from a cheap home grow perspective, that is definitely the most logical thing to do. Just learn how to reuse it. Watch Dr. MJ's video. You have nothing to fear if you do it right. And uh, you could save money and have great success. Don't yeah, believe I've, me, never uh, old cocoa. I've never used cocoa, but I bet you the answer to his question is because the guys behind the counter at the hydro store said you shouldn't use it again. So they could sell them some more. I was just about to say that. Yeah. It's, uh, people have been taught to throw it out every run, throw everything out. The cocoa companies run. tell you that too, especially if you're buying a, a product that's pre-buffered, um, a, a bagged product. If you call them up, they'll tell you, no, you should re get new media every time. And it's basically just a way to get you to buy more media. Absolutely. Um, 
there are some things though to, that we do by sort of feeding the cocoa cow mag and stuff like that to keep the cocoa well conditioned for growing in. Um, and if you weren't doing things like that, and if you never rinsed it out again, and if you tried to plant plants right into, you know, cocoa that you just used, um, you could end up with some, some issues. People talk about separating it from the roots. There's basically two strategies for that. You shortly after, while the cocoa is still wet, while the roots are still like basically alive, you beat the crap out of them and get as much of the cocoa to sort of fall free from the roots that way. Or you wait and dry it out entirely. Um, and the roots basically break down in that drying out process and, and the larger chunks can be taken out when you rinse it again. I just uh, noticed some they comments just, and sorry, go ahead. As I was say, they just asked in chat if you could use cocoa and super soil. And if you mean in place of peat, yes, I've, uh, I've done that. I made a, a, actually I used coco loco, which is a peat and worm casting blend. And that was my base. And I kept it going and growing autos in it for just over a year. I did two, two sub containers and it worked just like if it was peat, really, <laughs> it worked just fine. Isn't that Coco Loco just basically like the ocean forests, but instead of peat, they use cocoa as the base yeah, or something? Very, yeah, very similar. Yep, yep. It's got you know, it's still got all the mineral inputs and all the other stuff. It's it's just not an inert by any, by any means. Cocoa definitely is great for its water holding capacities, and it's always got you know good access to oxygen and things like that. So I don't see why it wouldn't be able to be used in the soil. Although I haven't personally yet, it uh, is a great media if you have access to it at a good price. And the, the big, the trick is if you're using a high ratio of cocoa and a calcium hungry crop like cannabis, you should keep that in mind when you're growing with it, um, that the cocoa is going to be taking a lot of the calcium out of your solution. So, or taking it from other, other sort of sources, um, leaving less available to the plant. Um there are some things in amended grows that you can do that, that make calcium more available to the plant all the time. Um, but that, that's basically the trick to it. That's how that, that's like the, the management trick that separates it from peat. But certainly I think there's a lot of advantages to it in peat, not just for us as individual growers, but for us as like a community of organisms that live on this planet, um, cocoa is a more sustainable choice. I just wanted to bring up something I saw in the chat from our conversation earlier about the dry sifting was for the listeners who might not be here in the YouTube live chat, they were mentioning that you could find screens at like your local craft store and like 110 micron and other sizes for pretty affordable prices. So again, if you want to avoid the cannabis tax and be able to dry sift or trim over a screen that'll clean up some of your keef, then those options are out there and definitely worth looking into because uh, yeah why waste it right use every little bit it's uh all about sustainability and i guess if you grew it you might as well collect it why uh go through all the effort just to lose out that kind of even makes me think of something we talked about earlier going all the way back to the beginning with like teams uh so many people will get like oh we want the best grower i want the best master grower all these operations out here but then they don't have a good team underneath them or they don't have a curing team. They don't have a trim team. They don't have a 
quality assurance, you know, team. They they don't care how it's packaged. All that stuff matters. And if they don't care about every single step down the line, then it doesn't matter. You could have Brandon Rust or any Spartan guys that know what the hell they're doing, grow the best plant possible. And if it gets absolutely fucked up in the end process, then you're not going to end up with craft quality dank at the end. If you're, you know, like we were talking about earlier, kind of the comparison versus like corn or something. If they're uh, harvesting it with a combine, it's going to be a lot harder for it to look the way that somebody is used to if they're smoking indoor or greenhouse. So that's where I think that the craft cannabis farmers will be around for a while is once they do start doing like breeder Steve said, he's going to field grow the stuff. He's using aquaponics and, you know, sustainable uh, organic soils and things like that. But he, he wants to do the farmer trim. He wants to give you like a 10 cent corn cob. He wants to have like a corn cob sized bud, basically untrimmed. You just get the whole entire top bud for under a dollar, you know, and doing it at field grown at hectares and Columbia, it's a lot easier to get to those costs than if you're growing it indoor and paying people to hand trim it. So there's different ends of the spectrum and they can definitely both produce good quality cannabis. It's just what your ultimate end goal is. And that's something uh, a lot of people have to consider is there's so many different end goals. Some people are growing it for seed and a lot of the hemp was originally grown for seed and fiber, things like that. After uh, Spartan takes this hit, we'll want to ask what he's smoking on and maybe go around the panel. Uh, I saw Brandon, you were talking earlier. What are you smoking on tonight? Um, you know, I, I'm not even sure what it is. Uh, my friend that works for Bokashi Earthworks, he's also doing some, um, we're also uh, doing some collaborations on some breeding projects. He has a bunch of my cuts. <clears throat> um, he's uh he just he has some really good homegrown and that's what i'm smoking on actually i'm not even sure what it is though i think he did have some peanut butter breath times strawberry cough i think that's one of them and then uh, another i think it might actually be some auto flower um but it's dank dude it's it's like it's fucking strong it's not um it's you know it's, it's legit i had some like forgotten cookies that tested over 26 percent and there's a, some autos out there that are really fire. Humboldt Seeds makes the uh, Bubba Kush and OG Kush autos. And both of them tasted very similar and smoked very similar to the actual OG Kush and Bubba Kush. And I'm a fan of both of those strains of photos. So I put I put some of his uh, feminized uh, auto um, packs on my website. And uh, what, wait a minute. What did you just what were you dumping your bowl into your bong for? Oh, no, no, no. I was just the ashing out. <laughs> that shit. he's old I school clean bong, i clean my bong every day so my bong's dirty because it's the end of the, the night but yeah. I just tip that shit over and okay i haven't seen that move before man when he did that the first time when i went over his house i was a bit surprised myself personally i'm from ohio not from california so i don't know if that's a california thing or a bull rider crew thing i but pull the bowl up, upside down and just pull it through the 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 bong but i don't yeah. I don't tap it out into the top of the bog. That, that is oh, new. It's well, I, I just my ashtray ain't right here. So yeah, no, I, I no, I definitely understand why you did it, Brandon. I'm not. I, I've been so, there. I've been there. My say this cereal, shit, cereal bowl. This shit's so terpy. Yeah, this shit is so terpy that this he can get away with doing shit. that shit. Yeah. 
There's a guy, Dude, I think his name's Dookie Farms, and he just sticks the bud straight into the down stem. He doesn't even use a bowl. He just puts it right in there. He's an idiot. <laughs> well, that's that's just wasteful. If you're talking about the same person that I no, uh, he is. You're right. Compensation work with then that guy is something else, man. Whew. Some people, man, I, I tell you, they have some real interesting personalities out there. <laughs> Murder Mountain, so, yeah, man. He's one of those question, Murder Mountain really boys. Jack, um, he did I, was, I was smoking theory. Brandon's Limelight for the first part of the show, and then not just what I was just smoking when you were asking me was that Orange Dream Haze. So I've had, like, citrus explosions in my mouth all. Actually, my heart was, like, I switched off of the limelights because my heart started beating pretty quick sitting here. And I'm like, what the fuck? This stuff must be uh, sativa-esque or something. Got my heart racing a little bit. So I just switched it up to the Orange Dream Haze. To Yeah. All of the stuff that I that I personally um, breed, I'm all I, that's the effect. Because like all weed has a mentally stimulating, like it, it changes, my, it alters my consciousness, right? And I'll find stuff that is really, really heavy that really take like takes me there mentally. Um, but that's really functional, right? So like I can be really creative, but not lethargic. So I can achieve all the things that I need. And because like my brain, I have a really, really hard time, um, like not thinking stuff, right? I've always have stuff kind of, my wheels are always spinning. And they, you know, a psychiatrist, they diagnosed, and it was some weird diagnosis, but they were calling it like a, a, a flight of thought or something like that. And it just kind of keeps going. And so weed helps me organize that into cohesive, like, you know, pieces that really help me categorize the things that I'm doing. So Brandon, this is going to sound like a little bit, uh, Eastern philosophy, but there's like a thing called like Ayurvedic medicine. And there's like three types of people and like the upgoing, like the people they call like the wind or like Vatas. And I think in, in our society, people would, I, I studied psychology. So people would be quick to like categorize that as like a manic behavior or like whatever it is, or, you know, flight of thought, things like that. But certain people can find ways to like make that functional. Like you become somebody who works on multiple projects. Like I've seen you working on tons of projects because you have flight of thought. You're working on this right now, but then you're working on that right now. And you've got Bokashi Earthworks, but you've also got a greenhouse and you've also got an indoor and you've also got seeds and you've also got a million other things going on. So you've learned that's sort of how your brain operates and you've orchestrated your life around you, whether you know it consciously or not, to work with that as best as possible. You've like that's like the way to like win the game in life is I guess like you, you figure out what type of person you are and then find a job or something that you can work well within it. And um, I think that some people could look at that as a problem, but I think you've turned it into an advantage and it's just like Eastern philosophy versus Western philosophy. It's like you, there might be people that'd be like, Oh, we need to diagnose him. We need to give him some medicine and calm his ass down. And then other people would be like, no, like, that's how he is. And that's going to drive his, his success. That, that also was the deciding factor on not taking prescription um, antidepressants and antipsychotics, right? Because I, I had been highly medicated on pharmaceuticals from probably age around maybe like five all the way to 14. And when I was 14 and I decided, look at the way that I think about things isn't 
it may be different than what is expected, but I couldn't, I had to, the, the smoking, it changed the mindset for me. Right. And it made me more like, Oh shit. Like there's something different. And now I can, I could, I could physically see, like I could go from one state of consciousness to a vastly different state of consciousness very, very quickly. And that made things more click like oh like oh there's different levels to this because i didn't know because my whole life people were like this is the norm for like thinking behaving this and that and it's not just one thing there are so many levels and i think your ability to look at things on scales and from different perspectives is is one of the ways to kind of expand that and so I had a kind of consciousness expansion from the cannabis, which altered the way that I, you know, perceived the way people were medicating me. And I said, okay, no, this isn't for me because I can now feel the difference between this medication over here and this over here. And, and I chose to go with the, me the medicine over here instead of the stuff that hadn't given to me my whole life. That was a huge changing that moment when I made that choice that changed the whole path of my entire life. I can definitely relate. I mean, I know I'm not taking any pharmaceuticals and cannabis is my primary medicine and without it, I can be way more scatterbrained, which I know might sound crazy to some people because it makes some people forgetful and, and like lazier or they like to pin that on their cannabis use. But for me, cannabis allows me to work my 70 hour work week and stay focused and not double book myself and not forget uh, impromptu meetings at, and appointments that just I get booked last minute. And like, I think that for a lot of people, cannabis allows them to do things that other medicines or lack of medicine would, you know, without it, they'd uh, struggle. So I do think it's very therapeutic and a strong medicine for that reason and many, many others. But that's just one and two examples, I guess, are you and I. I feel like a lot of people out there that use cannabis have a similar story or they can relate to something like that because when it comes down to it, even if you started recreationally with a friend in your backyard, um, if it helps you to be a little more calm or if it helps enhance, you know, some experience in your life, then it's still can be considered medicinal, right? Because medicine is things that enhance your experience, whether it's your consciousness or your physical condition or just your everyday interactions with things around you, even just being more calm. I think Willie Nelson had a great quote where he said something along the lines of if like stress is one of the leading killers, then like cannabis is the best medicine. And I'm paraphrasing, he, he said it a lot more eloquently. Um, yeah. But it's something along those lines. And I do think that there's a good chunk of validity to that. Whatever the stress is from, a lot of people have stress in their life from past trauma or work or whatever it is. And like a lot of people for a long time, like look down on parents using cannabis, for example. But I know a lot of parents who use cannabis and they're much better parents because of it. They're calmer, they're happier. They may be able to eat a meal when their stomach's upset or something like use it on cannabis. Their level. Yeah. And, and just like yeah. be silly and have fun and like go chill with their kid and, and, yeah. watch a stupid tv show that they might not be able to sit through otherwise you know my take it's a preventative medicine we don't even know what we're not getting but you know i still say you want a potent edible a day to really make it count 
because you know there's a lot of smokers that i know that get cancer and this and that but i bet you if everybody did a potent edible a day like like if you did that much though i guess that's asking a lot but if you could get up to that rso for um you know a gram a day i bet you want to get sick day in your life for the last couple of weeks i've been experimenting with like one to two grams a night of rso and i definitely feel great and the only thing is some night, some mornings I do wake up a little, uh, still tired and like feeling kind of like a high, but then I don't have to then medicate immediately when I wake up in the morning, I usually slept all the way through the night, which might not have been the case otherwise. So it's a, definitely a trade-off that I'm willing to take and account for. But I do think that like you're saying, it is a preventative medicine. There's the whole Rick Simpson story was like how he basically got through his skin cancer by using RSO. And many other people, I think, have had similar experiences where they were able to treat their cancers, whether it's skin cancer or otherwise, by taking heavy amounts of RSO. So he definitely deserves the credit, and it should be brought up every now and then just as a good reminder to people that um, it's a medicine that you have access to that you might already be growing. And like Tao just said, some people just smoke it, but you can take it to that next level. And I don't even care if it's for trim. Throw some of it in a jar, soak it in some alcohol, and then reduce it down. Or even just use it as a tincture. I just think uh, by just consuming it orally through smoke or vapor, you might not be able to get as high of a milligram dosage as you need to be preventatively therapeutic. Like I talked about and quoted on the last shows, the medicine about it and the COVID, whether um, CBD was found and CBGA found to prevent people's uh, infection from COVID-19. And then the other one was it limits replication within the body. And I quoted both the scientific papers on the, I think it was the last show. But yeah, some of the benefits of CBD and Kyle shared his experiences with like how it helped his anxiety and other things. So tons of, I, mean, that's, uh, I think that's an interesting, oh, I don't, I won't let you finish. Jack. No, no, I was kind of just rambling. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I kind of, I agree with that. And uh, I was actually away from the microphone for about 15 minutes, the last 15 or so minutes. Um, uh, my friend uh, just furiously quit uh, his dispensary job, actually, since I so oh, relevant. how relevant, right? Um, and uh, I, it's not my story to tell, but um, he was uh, asking for uh, a little bit of time with his best friend. So I gave him that time. But um, here's the thing, <clears throat> when it comes to like health claims and, and things like that with, with these products, I know it's Matt coming with the with a but if, but well, actually, but it's kind of true. Uh, these immune system affecting compounds, not just cannabis, but various other things in our food and pharmaceutical compounds, all this sort of stuff, you know, they work for a reason. It's not magic. Right. And so some of the immune affecting capabilities of cannabis can be bad in the wrong context, I guess is what I wanted to say. Um, like for example, you know, when we take a medicine, that reduces swelling or inflammation, obviously that inflammation is a, usually it's a pretty natural response. Sometimes a pathogen might be taking advantage of it or, or inducing it on purpose. Certainly this is how certain microbes work with plants actually, um, or insects for that matter. But um, I don't know, I just feel like that's an important sort of caveat to keep in your mind is that our bodies are made differently and for some people, like if you, sh if you take, if you like cut off or if you um, block or make use of a, a receptor, you know, on the, on the cell membrane or something, um, 
that could have downstream effects that are positive and negative, I guess. And Spartan, uh, I think, intelligently included last week that his RSO was starting to have impact on people's blood thinners. And we mentioned in the past how CBD directly impacts warfarin dosages. And right. that's kind of like why I'm really happy living in California that all the doctors I've gone to for myself personally and for like the kids that I work with on the spectrum, um, they're open to the idea that people are taking CBD. They ask where you got it, where are you sourcing it? Uh, what are you taking? How much are you taking? And they want to make incorporate that into part of their overall uh, medicinal plan. And I just think that's a great position to be in where compared to like 30 years ago or something. Uh, that 100%. Open to it. I don't want to turn into like... Um... I'm really not advocating for like me for madness levels of like suspicion and skepticism. Um, I'm convinced uh, more, more than, more than anything that uh, has tons of really important, not just cannabis for but tons of other compounds for that matter from plants and other things. And um, I'm very excited to see that actually get looked at approachably um, the psychedelics, other psychedelic compounds and psilocybin, for example, is something I'm very excited to be. Uh, actually helping with the research of uh, up uh, in the future very soon, actually, hopefully next month. So um, I'm glad that this is getting a lot more positivity and that people are actually legitimately looking at it and still also agreeing with what a lot of people have been saying for quite a long time. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, there's some... Um publicly traded company that just got an okay for uh, LSD for PTSD uh, from the FDA. The next, it's not like, um, it's for the trial. I think like the second phase, the second, I think they call it phase, second phase trial. But yeah, it's interesting that uh, there's like three or four publicly traded companies that are, they're, they're, they are psychedelics companies, basically. One uses that Ibogaine, I guess. And I think one is experimenting with ayahuasca too, but I'm not 100% on, on any of that. But yeah, there's like uh, three publicly traded companies now in the New York Stock Exchange, which is crazy. Well, John Hopkins basically did some research on uh, medicinal mushrooms, and I think they found some really uh, beneficial effects for people that have like PTSD and other traumas. Like one guided session with a therapist is enough to like change a lot of people's lives. And I think that led to, I think, decriminalization or even legalization in like Ann Arbor, Michigan and Oakland and a few other places, Colorado, I think has uh, gone forward with pushing legislation to allow the use of these types of, I guess, like newly yeah, experimental. Like, only because like five it's- or six now here in, in the state of Michigan. Now there's a bunch, there's a bunch of cities and there's more on the more and more people pushing in different cities now. I hear them called entheogens by the advocates like Red Setter Farm. And yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it's definitely includes, includes a more, you know, it's a broad, it's basically all these natural. Yeah. It, it's, it's basically saying, Hey, we don't want people to, we don't want the government to control and restrict natural medicines. But that being said, I, personally think that there's also cons of these things that we need to look at because very, very powerful plants and psychedelics when, you know, when used inappropriately can have really profound negative impacts on people's uh, psychic well-being, emotional well-being. And so when I think about, I, when I think about, 
using these things. I think there should be, you know, a responsible setting with somebody that can help mediate um, and help guide people through some of these experiences because they're not always pleasant for everybody, you know? And so, yeah, it's one of the things that I always like to tell people, like be with somebody who has a lot of experience with whatever it is that you're going to consume that way they can help guide you, whether it be physically or emotionally or mentally, because some of those things can be extremely, extremely potent. You know, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen bad things. I've seen bad things happen to people who (laughs) handle, you know, the, they're, they're not right. You know, the, the stresses that they have in life, they couldn't figure out how to mentally navigate it when they get to those, you know, higher states of emotional, you know, being in, 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 in these conscious states. So I think with, with great power comes great responsibility, not to sound like super corny, but it is a very potent, powerful medication, depending on which ones you're talking about from LSD to Ibogaine to ayahuasca to mushrooms, and even a very potent cannabis can send somebody on a quote, like bad trip or give them an experience where they're not enjoying the ride. That they, I think most of these therapeutics are uh, going the microdose route, though. You know, that's what I was just about to say. Yeah, Eagle had somebody on earlier this week. Um, I can't even. Her name was Ms. Something, but she was talking about how she recommended microdosing, and a lot of people are benefiting from even tiny, tiny doses of the stuff, where it's not a perceptual feeling, but they take a few microdoses per week, and they're reporting beneficial effects from that as well. So. I definitely, um, if you're going to do something like that, I think you should do it with somebody who's extremely experienced and in a safe environment with somebody you feel you trust and feel comfortable with. And, uh, I mean, definitely not advocating people go out and just jump into the shit, but some people are going to try it and, uh, some guiding advice might be helpful because if you're going in blind, you might get yourself in trouble. For me, the the simple fact of like, just, um, having quality control you know, just simply having the quality control of like the, the, what you're getting, like, I mean, even for other products, like uh, people who cultivate mushrooms, like cordyceps mushrooms or linger or reishi mushrooms and that kind of a thing. And some yeah. of the constituents from those are really powerful and, and useful, but like, you know, are you getting them from the actual mushroom and are you getting what you, are you getting like mycelium blocks that have been powdered up and put into pills you know, like just simply like even yeah. in the supplements industry, like people don't always get and oftentimes don't get what yeah. they want. And I just would love to see that not be the case. Yeah. So I have I have, I know exactly what you're talking about. I have a friend, Bodie Michael, My, Michael Mycology and also um, Texas Myco team. And they'll tell you about, you know, the processes that they use to manufacture their mushrooms because they're using the fruiting bodies in a lot of these larger companies. They're literally just um, using the mycelium. So there's a vast difference in the chemical makeup of something that's been fully fruited out and made a chemical extract as opposed to something that has ju- is just a colonizing mycelium that's not producing those chemical constituents. Well, and just like cannabis, different strains have different effects. So not all cubensis mushrooms are going to have the same effect. Like the penis envy are a lot more potent than yeah. uh, Thai or golden teacher. So it's, and, and they're going to have not just like different potencies, but 
different feeling. Like if you smoke a strawberry cough, it's cannabis, right? But then if you go and smoke a OG Kush, it's also cannabis. They're going to have very different effects on, on you personally. So do your research before jumping into these things is uh, always good advice. But I know Spartan's got to go in about one minute and I want to pass it over to Spartan and uh, see if you have any thoughts on uh, final thoughts or shout outs. First and foremost, I want to promote that Brandon's going to be on the Michigan Bros Growth Show coming up so we can follow us both over there. Um, but uh, other than that, thanks for having me on the show as always, man. I love hanging out. This is this is my uh, origin story, man. This is where I started my whole YouTube journey. So I just love that I get continue to do it. So thank you for that opportunity. Thank you to Chad. Thank you to the mods today. Working fucking hard still as I look up. Working hard. We've been uh, getting a lot of attention from the... Uh, well, I can't even read their names to even shout them out, but uh, <laughs> good job. Uh, good job to the mods out there uh, keeping the chat clean. Uh, everybody just uh, keep spying. going. Yeah, and uh, fuck the MCMA. Fuck the MCMA, indeed. Thank you for coming, Spartan, and, and thank you to all the wrenches, new and old. I gave out a, a bunch of uh, moderator wrenches last week, and uh, they're obviously putting them to good use, filtering out some of these spam bots usually look like russian characters not to discriminate on anybody but that just seems to be who it's coming from but uh yeah it's definitely not the most fortunate but i think the whenever we have a show like i'm seeing we have 143 in chat the higher the numbers go the more likely youtube is to throw a bot in there and try and pitch something so it's it's a good thing overall but with that said i, I do know uh spartan just mentioned you have to go over to michigan bros grow show so i don't know if you have to take care of your dogs refill your rolling tray get some water do any of that good stuff but Maybe, uh, Brandon, if this would be a good time for you, you can uh, give your final thoughts and shout-outs as well. Perfect. Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, I love this this chat that we get to do, and uh, I appreciate everybody who takes the time to come on here, and I, you know, um, and all the people that tune in and listen. So uh, thanks again. You guys can all find me at um, uh, rust.brandon on IG, and then www.bokashieearthworks.com. We're having a huge sale on carbon-based fertilizers and mar- microbes right now. It's a really good opportunity to try out this product. Works excellent. Um, so yeah, there's that going on, and uh, I'll see everybody next week. Peace Thanks out for joining, Brandon. And uh, I'm not sponsored by Brandon, but I will advocate his product kicks fucking ass. Those microbes and everything that I've used from Brandon has killed it in my garden. Couldn't be happier with it. And at the price point, honestly, like it's a steal. So cheers to him. And it's all on BokashiEarthworks.com. So we love Brandon. How are things looking over there for your uh, New Year's Grow Challenge, Dr. MJ? They're looking good. I've, I'm still sort of in between tents. I have four plants that are going to, that are in a four by two right now and going into a four by four here when I get time to do that. Um, but yeah, everybody's doing well. I've been looking through some of the journals, um, having a lot of fun. We just did, I need to go and find out who won. Although somebody was way in advance, like while the show was on the air, we did our, uh, photo challenge which was the third giveaway in in a row that we did with photon tech um so somebody just won an sq 300 watt pro which is a really cool light um and that's fun and now we're gonna march toward the flip date on on valentine's day good stuff i um just got my sex test back from farmer freeman and i've got five females i've already narrowed it down to the best four and I think that I'm going to do two separate flowerings. I'm going to do um, two of them. I'm going to flower in one gallon pots just right away in my veg space. 
And then I'm going to put the other two into my flower tent in the earth box and let them veg a little bit larger and then flip them later. So uh, lots of velvet punch going down, but I uh, already got the best four females picked. They're still in solo cups. So they're just kind of uh, very slowly vegging along, probably way yeah. behind a lot of the other New Year's Grow Challenge people that have already transplanted into larger pots and are crushing it and pumping lots of light and all that good stuff. And Well, yeah, I mean, you slow them down, but you do what you want to do. I mean, that's definitely one way to, to sort of give yourself a little bit more time with your plants sometimes. Yeah, you know, it was uh, just things. not wanting to use a bunch of soil and, and space. I, I popped 10 trying to find the best two. Yeah. And uh, I got four females this time that are looking really good. One of the So are five, you planning to pop, pop those females up? No, well, you just said that, right? Yeah. To one gallons. And my one gallons are really two gallons. It's an easy swap pot. They're double the size of a normal one gallon in, in the past. Like I put it inside of a three gallon pot and it almost fills it entirely up. So it might even be more than two gallons. It's a gigantic one gallon pot, but well, I flowered in them in the past. They'll still have a lot more space than they have now. So you get a, they'll enjoy that extra room. And they'll also be mulched. I was lazy and didn't mulch because I only filled the cups halfway full. And normally I'd backfill them and then mulch them, but it was like, they were growing uh, at a slow enough pace and I just kind of was letting them do their thing. I did, like I said, didn't want them to get huge. I wanted to figure out who the ladies were before I start putting some effort into them. And uh, that's going to be coming up soon. So I'm looking forward to actually transplanting tonight, uh, mixing up some soil. Last time I did it, I, I was like dreading it. I was like, oh, this is going to take so long. It's going to be such an effort. And then when I did it, I was like, oh, this is actually fun. I like the smell, I like getting my hands dirty. So it's fun. Yeah, uh, you gotta again. get, I mean, once you agree to get your hands dirty, you just got to enjoy it. You know, I was just mixing up cocoa and doing my transplant a couple of days ago. Um, and yeah, it, it, it is kind of fun. And I was kind of dreading it too. I'm kind of like, I just got a pain in the ass. But it, it's fun. It makes me feel young again. It doesn't make me feel young when I used to transplant in my bathtub and I'd be bending over in my neck. I've yes. uh, gotten a car accident a few years ago and had like a loss of height fracture and whiplash. And so doing that type of gardening was uh, working harder, not smarter. I've learned to put down a tarp and put it up on a table and somewhere that I can work at, you know, normal standing level. So I'm not bending and I'm putting myself through misery just to do the thing that I love, which is gardening. Uh, so those little things make a lot of difference for anybody out there who is beating themselves up and getting down on the ground and doing those things. Uh, if you can elevate it up to a comfortable workstation and it might cause a little less misery in the garden. But most people I think are just, they're so happy in the garden, they can overcome some of that discomfort but uh it's better to be comfortable and enjoy your time in there i definitely hear you i think a lot of people have seen my video of, of what we talked about the recycling cocoa and the buffering cocoa video where i was working in my bathtub at the time and yeah that, that's not the best way to do that it's nicer to have someplace outdoors or someplace higher to work on um I got like a raised bed garden now, so I can rinse my cocoa out over that. And the dust just goes into the red raised bed garden, which is a whole hell of a lot better than doing it in a bathtub bent over on the floor of the, the bathroom. Um, I definitely hear you there. It's the little things. We, we learn as we age and uh, we get better with time, like a fine wine. We might get gray hairs and things like that, but that's just a sign of wisdom, I've been told. So. Let me address, I just saw a comment in the chat directed at me. My feelings about using cocoa without the perlite, um, Rosinante. Um, yeah, it, it's great. It, you know, I'd keep the, the container pretty small. The, the reason that we add the perlite is it helps with drainage really more than anything. It helps with uh, aeration and drainage. Um, but, you know, as 
Jack's talking about with his plants and, and you're growing in a peat based media, right, Jack? Yes. Yeah. Um, and a cocoa based media, there's a lot of root space and roots can get pretty healthy. So you don't need a ton, a big, a big pot. Um, and you can grow with still a pretty big plant. So my advice, if you're going without perlite is to just go in a smaller container and it's a little bit sort of harder. I mean, to dial in fertigation frequencies and stuff like that. Um, but it certainly can be done. And in certain respects, it could be a little bit better. Um, you don't need as big of a container. You don't need as, uh, you can sort of can keep things in a tighter in a tighter range potentially um okay i'll shut up now so that's it no i think it's a i was gonna actually after you finished answering okay, that cool. question i think it'd be a perfect time for us to go or maybe we've got like one or two more minutes if anybody else has a something they want to address before we get into final thoughts and shout outs that maybe we covered earlier in the show that you wanted to say that you weren't able to or just uh general thoughts yeah um i really appreciated the discussions here because we talked about oh, not just right now in the last like several minutes, but also throughout, you know, I feel like there's a large theme of like, you know, uh, sort of commercial versus home scale and, and, and what's superior, what's inferior, which one's better or worse. Uh, but I feel like it's always important to note that better and worse are human sort of abstractions. And that's always going to be kind of a contextual thing. And um, that also any expert, any sort of specialist, including myself can like say something wrong um, be actually wrong because the data that they're referencing isn't complete, um, or just simply, you know, make a mistake in how they say something or conceptualize something, uh, you know, and I just want to shout that out there because uh, it keeps myself humble. And also, I think it'll help us, you know, kind of just come to a resolution with regards to certain subjects matter. You know, if you're assessing something, try to assess it uh, without like, um, you know, without letting somebody's like personal um, ability or renown or anything like that kind of cloud um, your assessments because uh, ultimately no one's right all the time. So uh, it just happens sometimes. That's true. That is true. Uh, except for the American one who is right all the time, just as a clarification. Well, yeah, that goes without saying. Say, I mean, speak for yourself. I couldn't hit the I didn't need to enough. say. I thought it went without saying, honestly. <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> But like, uh, I think that what you were talking about earlier with like the best conversation, it is an interesting one. It's always, uh, I think that might be part of the reason that we had so many people here tonight. And even somebody before the show was like, oh, save this. Why are you talking about all the best stuff before the show? And I, you were you were right. And whoever said to make the comment or uh, title indoor versus outdoor, I think that just drives people's attention. They're like, oh, I need to go. Yeah, that's, like clickbeat. that's why I, I called I, it I black say- magic. I am the one who said that. <laughs> it, I, I knew it was going to work as soon as I wrote it in. I was like, oh, this is definitely going to draw people out because it's an Matthew's, interesting conversation. Matthew but is I think also 100% correct that the subject, subjectiveness of everything is plays a factor because I remember when Homegrown was like, you know, somebody that didn't know what they were doing, grew a plant in the backyard, harvested when it was leaves, and that's what they were calling Homegrown. And then like five years later, maybe more or less, whatever, Homegrown is now grown indoors, qualities, the best quality. So, yeah, people's experiences, um, you know, dictate their uh, preferences and stuff. So, outdoors, if you get killer outdoor, it's killer. If you get killer indoor, it's killer. Like, I think there's no difference. If it's done totally right, 
because I have had really killer outdoor and it was basically if you weren't told it was outside grown, you would have thought it was grown inside a, inside a, inside. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you would not be able to tell. And, and that's what I, I kind of commented that, that there's a lot of stuff that's grown outdoor that's sold as indoor here in California, like typically light depths. That's the case. Uh, even mm-hmm. the non light assist. But one thing I wanted to say is certain cups and, and competitions are actually making it objective. Say, fuck this objectivity, best flavor, highest terpenes best uh, potency is highest cannabinoids or highest thc and that will at least allow people to identify a few markers uh to see where is the high terpene cannabis where is the high cannabinoid cannabis and if you know that's the goal going into that cup then you bring your you know highest testing strain or whatever it is but um i think that a lot of people ultimately find that for them their preference is going to be maybe it is the, the highest testing but then maybe it's one that's more fruity or more uplifting or more sedative and things like that all come into account. So with that being said, I think we've put on a great show tonight. I really appreciate it. Everybody. We didn't get to the chat as much. We answered a few questions, but uh, we were just having such a good conversation and had so many panelists uh, tonight that we just rolled all the way into the final hour. So I will pass it first over to Spartan or uh, not Spartan. He's already gone. Pass it over first to Dr. MJ. Oh, hello. I was caught up typing some comments, but I really enjoyed the show, guys. I enjoyed lots of the different topics that, that came up today. Um, and I enjoyed just being back after missing last week. I want to remind everybody um, this Wednesday, I'm going to be doing a premiere. I got the FCE 8000 from Mars Hydro. I'm going to be giving it away during my premiere. And then we're all going to head over to, to Smart Poker's channel to do a live after show with Smart Poker, who's in the chat here. So, I hope you guys will all join us for that. It should be a lot of fun. Um, should be Wednesday, 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, I'll post a trailer on my channel tomorrow. And Good yeah, girl love, girl love to the chat. I'm going to keep chatting here while everybody else signs out. And um, thank you, Jack. Thanks, panel. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate all the stuff that you do over there with your community, the giveaways and uh, connecting with other people. I love the spirit of collaboration and just being open with the good information and sharing scientific information. It's all really great stuff. So thank you so much for joining us again. And um, I wanted to shout out uh, Purple Thumb, who just became a moderator because I see him around all the time and I uh, gave you the wrench. So if you didn't notice already, you might want to refresh your YouTube page, but you're now one of the moderators in the chat. Uh, you're an awesome person and are have been around for a long time. So appreciate you, Purple Thumb. And next up, we got Matthew Gates. Yeah, hey everyone, my name is Matthew Gates, and I have a few things that I need to make sure that people know, and I have to be strong on myself to make sure that I say it a lot so that people know about it. Now, we will find this stuff out if they don't actually listen, so without further ado, you can find me at zenthanol.com for professional inquiries for uh, IPM prevention or curative necessities and things like this. Um, you can find some of my content on Skunk Magazine, where I'm a contributing author, uh, you can also find that I'll be on Monday at 6 p.m. PST. I'll be talking with uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Dr. Zyme's webinar with uh, Mary Beth Sanchez. And um, you should check out their Instagrams uh, <laughs> to get more information because they don't have it jotted down. But we're going to have a talk about various IPM concepts. So I'm excited to do that. And that'll be tomorrow again. Uh, like the amazing Dr. Zyme's? Just such a f- person. <laughs> yes uh, the amazing dr zymes the magician himself like i was just for the people out there that, that when i heard dr zymes that, that, that 
Baptist Association. It was, and a lot of people in the community know them for that. So cheers to them and uh, definitely looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, so, and you can also find a lot of my information on, on the Zenthanol YouTube channel uh, where I put most of my con- uh, content and also Instagram at Sync Angel. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for joining as always. And last and certainly not least is the American one. Yes, Jack, thanks again for hosting as usual. And everybody, it was great hanging out tonight. Um, I'm going to also do a shout out to Smart Poker because um, him and Crispy Wannabe have a show before this one, usually on Sundays. And I think it starts at 12. I don't know. Some I always end up showing up late, but it's like four hours out. long. Yeah, they're really cool. And they're always trying to help whoever has any issues. And uh, they share in their, their journey and all this stuff that they're doing. So it's really cool. And uh, yeah, and don't forget to check out yeah. Dr. Coco on Wednesday. And um, yeah, I'm the American one. And it was really good to be here. Peace. Thank you so much. And uh, big cheers to Smart Poker and Crispy Wannabe, uh, Sundazed and Confused over on their Smart Poker YouTube channel. It's a great show. And it runs for about four hours on Sunday mornings or afternoons, depending on where you're at. So cheers to them, great members of the community. And cheers to everybody who showed up for the YouTube Live. Appreciate all of you. There was uh, over 150, I think, at one point. Always crazy to see the chats just flying. And uh, appreciate all the listeners, both live and in the podcast afterward. I'll try and get that up tonight as soon as possible. But without further ado, I'm Jack Greenstock. Like you could see, if I cover up my camera and show off the logo on Instagram, Jack underscore Greenstock on Twitter. You can email me, jackgreenstock at gmail.com. And if you want a copy of my book, 50 Strains of Green, you can go to 50strains.com to get a copy of that. So thank you, everybody. Again, uh, this is Jack Greenstock signing out. See you all next week. Peace. Grow love, everyone.